Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everybody, to Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I have balloons. 300th. This is our 300th episode, uh, and it is almost Halloween, which is why I am in a witch's getup and I have these silly glasses. However, we're doing a serious show today, even if I don't look serious. Um, but I did want to let you guys know, if you are new to the show, if you're not listening regularly, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. It's free. They'll, they'll notify you every time there is a new show. Um, later in the show, we're going to announce the winner of our contest. We asked all of you to review us, uh, and we're going to choose a winner. And one of you lucky listeners is going to get two free hours um, with one of our admissions or finance experts. You're going to get to choose. Um, but before we get to that and your questions, which is what we're going to do for most of the show, we're going to be talking about supplemental essays. It's a series that we do all fall long, and I'm very excited to welcome my colleague, Steve Brennan, who has been an admissions officer at not just Occidental, not just Loyola University Chicago, not just Regis in Colorado, but also Marquette. So four schools and background that he brings to the show today. Hi, Steve. Hi, Beth. Hi. Nice to see you. Love yeah, to get nice up. Yeah, nice to see you. Thank you. And um, I love that you're a guest on our 300th show. And yet, as you just mentioned, this is only your third show. So essentially, you show up every 100 episodes. And I'm super excited to have you here today. Thank All right, you. It's good to be back. Cool. And we may rope you in for more of these in the coming years. All right. Um, we have two schools whose supplemental essays we're going to be talking through today. And so I want to get right to it. I want to start with uh, Arizona State. And specifically, what we're talking about with Arizona State is the Honors College. Now, they have a priority deadline of November 1st, which, oh, is in just a couple of days. Um, so if you are applying to the Honors College and you're wondering, gosh, how am I going to answer these questions? All right, Steve, you are here to help us with that. There are two. Uh, and what Arizona State is asking you to do is choose one. So we're going to talk you through both, and then you can make the decision of which one you want to choose. Um, the first option, all human knowledge is erased. Only one object or one sentence can be shared with the next generation. What one thing should be passed on or what single statement would contain the most valuable information in the fewest words? Defend your selection. If you choose to address this prompt with an object, do not select a thumb drive, computer, et cetera, for its memory storage capacity. So don't try and cheat the system that way. All right, Steve, what's your advice here? I love that last that last sentence there because you know someone tried it, right? You know more than like, someone, probably right? many, right? For sure, and that's the first impulse. So these these questions are tricky. For I think option A is honestly a little harder, and it's asking you really, you know, if there's a global reset, all human knowledge is erased. There's a global reset. What do you want to preserve? So what are your core values? What's something that is so important that it trumps everything else that you want to pass on, right? So Baird is looking for intellectual curiosity. They want to get a sense for how your brain works. They want to get a sense for how you like to learn. They also are trying to get a sense for your ability to write. And this is one where you could really show your chops, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's super creative and there's not one right answer. And Beth, I used to say for these, there's no right or wrong answer. I think there are some that could be wrong. Sure. Um, not, not just the computer uh, thumb drive, right? But, but you know, thinking about what is that one thing you want to transmit and being able to defend it. I think this is one where you can take a little bit of a chance, plant your flag and defend it. I think this really gives you an opportunity to do that. I think it's tricky though. I think you have to really be clear about why, whatever that thing is that you want to be passed on, right? What one thing should be passed on or what single statement would contain the most valuable information in the fewest words, whatever, whichever one of those you choose and choose one, you really have to be prepared to defend it and have a clear sense of why, what it is that you want to transmit through that. Right. I think that's, you hit on all the important points. And I think the key pieces that you set up front are, they're trying to understand how you think 
and engage and write. And so you need to display all of those things in this response as you do in the next one. But um, I agree, that one's a tricky one. Uh, well, here's the second option. Um, discuss how a piece of art, painting, literature, photograph, etc. So of course you have to define art or popular culture, song, comic book, etc. helped you realize something new about yourself or the world. What was that realization and how did the piece of art or pop culture bring about this change in your thinking? Do not simply describe the piece of art or pop culture, instead focus on its effect on you. Again, that last sentence, right? You know, someone just described the art. This is true for all of these, for yes. almost every prompt, right? When it says describe and its effect on you, they don't need you to describe the Mona Lisa. They don't need you to describe, they don't need you to describe that piece of art. You know, um, they need you to talk about, most importantly, its effect on you, right? right. Um, again, creativity, skill with writing. This one feels a little more accessible. And that realization, something new about yourself or your world, what gave you a new lens right. through which to see something? Was it a song that you'd heard 500 times, but on that 501st time, a penny dropped for you? You had a new way of thinking about someone else's experience, about, about how you view the world. Um, were you able to be in someone else's shoes for, for a second? Is it a favorite book that you've read multiple times or maybe the first time? Mm -hmm. And it allowed you to engage with others, engage with an idea. It expanded you in some ways. Um, it gave you uh, new tools through which to understand other information. Any of those approaches can be great. You have to start with the second half, though. What was yeah. the realization? And how did it bring about this change, right? So yeah. start there, get clarity there. When you write it, you don't necessarily have to start there. But when you think, when you're brainstorming, that's what you need to, that's what you need to start with. Yeah, and one thing I, I did want to point out, and you you pointed again to the second or the very last part of the question, because as with the first, I think they are being very specific here and giving you some good guidance. So their initial question says, it helped you realize something new about yourself or the world. But in the end, they say, focused on its effect on you, right? So at the end of the day, this isn't about its effect on the world. It may have made you see something differently it is ultimately about its effect on you. So it all at the end of the day needs to come back to you when you're, when you're reading this. So never leave out the you. This is a personal essay after all, and, and we need to see you in it, right? Absolutely. And every, every college essay that you write, ultimately the subject is you. Yes. I mean, it's rare that there's one that's not, right? It's so yeah. it's always about what, how did this change you? And these are short. I mean, you don't have a ton of room. You don't have thousands of words, right? It's 300 to 500 words. And so you have to be ruthless. You have to be super self-disciplined and narrowly focused and, and say what you want to say in that amount of time. 500 words is enough that you can have a little bit of, a, of an introduction, a little bit of a summation, but you don't have room for a big, long windup. You don't have room for an extended metaphor. You should never use an no, extended metaphor. you should anyway, right? <laughs> ever, ever. Leave um, that behind. <laughs> yep. But you really have to be very clear before you set, you know, fingers to keyboard about what that is, what that change is, how it's helped you evolve and grow. That's what the, that's what's important here. I love it. All right. That's for those of you who are applying to Barrett Honors, Honors College at Arizona State. Okay, we're going to move on to the University of Washington. The deadline for this application, there is no priority or regular. It is all due by November 15th. So you've got to get this in within a couple of weeks. Um, first question is pretty straightforward. Tell a story from your life, describe an experience that either demonstrates your character or helped to shape it. This is your main essay that you're using for all of your other applications, right? It's, so it's your Common App essay or your Coalition essay. Um, Steve, you noted something. It originally said 500 words. That has changed. What is the new length for this it, essay? It's 650 now as the Common Application uh, main essay is 650. And so if you are applying, if you know you're applying to UW, write this prompt, write to this prompt, right? Yep. Um, don't use one of the other common app or coalition app prompts because this is the one they want and it's broad enough. It can capture almost everything, right? Yep. So um, you just need to make sure that you address the, the key part about that character, demonstrating it or shaping it. Right, good point. Okay, so here comes another one that is required. Uh, our families and communities often define us and our individual worlds. Community might refer to your cultural group extended family, religious group, neighborhood or school, sports team or club, coworkers, et cetera, et cetera. 
I added the second, et cetera. Describe the world you come from and how you as a product of it might add to the diversity of the UW. So you've only got 300 words here. And this is one of those deceptive questions, Beth, where yes. students look at it and they think, oh, this is easy. And it's, it's a little trickier than you think, right? So a couple of things here. Describe the world you come from and how you as a product of it might add to the diversity of the UW. Describing the world that you come from is easy. You pick one part of your world. Fine. Yes. Don't start with that. That's the easy part. Think about <laughs> what you're good at. Think about your skill sets. Think about what your, and I, I hesitate always to use the word passions with teenagers, with anyone. I think it's, you know, I think humans, that's so much pressure. The expectation yes. is not that you have a passion. What are your curiosities? What are things that you geek out about? What are things that when you start talking about them, your friends say, oh, okay, here she goes again, right? Mm -hmm. um, and think about how you're going to inject, to, 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 to bring that enthusiasm to the campus. Yes. That's, one, that's one place to start. Now, when we see the word diversity, what's the first thing we do? We go to culture. We go to ethnicity. We go to religion. And if you have something to talk about there that you want to share with the UW, great, perfect, of course, write that essay. That's great. I talked with a student a, a couple of weeks ago who was writing about how he went reluctantly kicking and screaming to Tamil school. His parents made him take Tamil language school on the weekends. He hated it. And then he learned how rich his culture was. He had this connection with his grandparents now. He had this connection with his culture. He was really proud of it. And as we talked, it was clear that that gave him a position from which to stand with confidence in a school that was not majority Tamil, right? In right. Western Washington state. Right. And, and so he was super excited and proud of that culture now. And he was absolutely going to bring that to the UW. Great. Yes. But if you are in Model UN mm -hmm. and you're super excited about international relations, can you write about that as a way to bring diversity to the UW? Absolutely. Do that. Yes. You don't have to come from a different cultural background. You don't have to have that unique story like the young man I just talked about. Um, a student uh, I had a couple of years ago, the world that he came from, he said, was his math socks nerd club. Zero period before school, they would meet. They would all wear these nerd socks that they thought gave them good luck on math tests and study. And his enthusiasm for math came out of that. And he thought that was one way that he was going to inject that into the UW campus, which I thought was wonderful, and quirky yes. and fun. And so him. So. Yeah, exactly. I think that's such a great example because so few, so many students sort of are scrambling, well, how will I add to diversity? And they immediately go to those groups like you mentioned. And yet there is so much more in the world that we all bring to the table every day from our own unique perspectives. And I've had students write the community essay about their involvement in their student union, in student government, a friend group, uh, that they've had for a long time or a new friend group that they've made or playing in the band in that community. There's so many different communities that you're all a part of. And so it's all about figuring out the one that matters the most to you. Um, so I love that. All right, there are two optional sections in the University of Washington's application, and we're not really going to dig into those today. All I will say is that it's perfectly acceptable to leave those blank if you don't have anything to add. Most students do. This is very much like the additional information section in the Common App, which, again, most students leave blank. It's totally fine. So if you don't read, if you read those and you think, I don't have anything to put here, awesome, move on. You don't need to worry about putting anything there. Um, but what I do want to do, Steve, is get to the honors program is we've only got a few minutes left. So sure. um, UW has two honors program questions. The first is, what is your understanding of the UW interdisciplinary honors program and why do you want to be a part of it? 300 words. So this needs you to have an understand understanding, excuse me, of the benefits of interdisciplinary study. Yes. And students say, well, it's to be well-rounded. And I say, well, why is it good to be well-rounded? And often I get an answer around, well, it's good to be well-rounded because it's <laughs> good to be well-rounded. What's the, what's the intellectual benefit from that? Yeah. What is it about the interdisciplinary program that's going to give you different tools, a different way of thinking about things, talking about things, analyzing data? That's, that's an advantage. What's the advantage of that? How is that a good thing? So have some clarity around, around that piece to be able to answer this prompt. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, okay, second question. Consider two very different subjects you have previous, previously studied. 
Tell us how you imagine bringing those together at UW, ooh, interdisciplinary, anyone, to engage with a pressing societal concern. This could be a local, national, or global concern. So here's one of the few where I say not to start with the second half, where it says this could be a local, national, or global concern. Sometimes students start in 300 words, they're going to solve climate change, and yes. you're not, right? So think about this time, that's just a hint at the end. Think about the rest of the prompt, right? Two very different subjects. So that is not geometry and algebra. Yes, good algebra point. Algebra and French <laughs> or physics and history. Um, how you imagine bringing those together at UW to engage with a pressing societal concern. Start with a societal concern first. Think about what issue you want to address and then think about what subjects will allow you to engage that. If, it's, if it is climate change, that's one they hear a lot, but that's obviously it's important for all of us. If that's one that you want to engage with, think about, okay, science and sociology or communication or psychology, right? Um, think about uh, maybe after the summer, a lot of students have been involved in social activism in a way they haven't been before. Great. Think about, okay, history and needing an understanding of how these circumstances happened, as well as, again, maybe psychology or maybe thinking about statistics um, mm -hmm. and how that can help bring a new insight into this particular challenge. So be creative with that, but make sure they are different subjects, not, not too closely related. Exactly. Not different variations. And I think that algebra and statistics is a great example or chemistry and biology. This is not what we're looking for. We're looking, uh, it's the interdisciplinary piece. They're kind of looking to see, you've said what you think is going to be beneficial to you. And now they want to see how you might bring some things together. So they kind of, one really does follow the other. Sorry. Steve, Thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Beth. Enjoy the holiday. All right. Thank you. Take care. Uh, we're going to be back in just a minute, uh, and we're going to be announcing our contest winner, and we are also going to uh, answer your questions. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is our 300th episode. I said I was going to announce our winner, but you know what? I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer, and I'm going to announce the winner at the end of the, or at the start, sorry, at the start of our third segment. But right now we're going to get right into your questions. And as frequently, um, Shannon Vasconcellos is here to do this segment with me. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. For those of you who are new to the show, Shannon is a former financial aid officer at both Tufts and Boston University, and she regularly does the listener questions section with me. All right. Why don't we jump in here, Shannon? I'm going to go to our list. Um, oh, it's like the first time I've ever done this before. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Yes. Um, finance question comes to us from Deborah. And Deborah asks, we plan to submit the FAFSA because some of the colleges on my daughter's list require it for merit aid. And we'd also like the flexibility to apply for federal loans. We have no expectation of receiving need-based aid. Some, maybe all, of the college applications include a question as to whether my daughter intends to apply for need-based financial aid. Is a no answer inconsistent with filing the FAFSA? 
If so, should we send copies of the FAFSA only to the schools that require it for merit-based aid? Popular question. Yeah, we get it all the time. And I would say, no, filing the FAFSA is not inconsistent with saying no to that question on the Common App about whether you intend to apply for need-based aid or not. You are not applying for need-based aid. You say you're you're submitting the FAFSA because some of the schools require it for merit scholarships, and you may like to take advantage of some of the student loans that do, in fact, require the FAFSA. So that it is completely fine to say, no, I'm not applying for need-based aid, but still file the FAFSA because it's needed for those other things. Um, now, having said that, um, you know, the issue here that the only concern about filing the FAFSA would be at potentially some schools that are need aware mm-hmm. um, as opposed to need blind. We've talked about this before on the show. If school is need blind, it's they guarantee the fact that you might be applying for financial aid will not in any way affect your admissions decision. If a school is need aware, they reserve the right to consider whether or not you may need financial aid when they're making their admissions decision. Now, and that is one reason, it's not the only reason, but it's one reason why they ask that question some, or some schools choose to add the, ask that question on the admissions application so they'll know whether you're applying for need-based financial aid or not. Now, so it should be, you should be just a-okay. <laughs> and there should be nothing more to say, but as you can tell, Beth, I'm going to say more about it. So you should yes. be fine saying, nope, I'm not applying for need-based aid, but submit the FAFSA for those other things. I've been around this block enough to know that the way different schools make their determinations about all different things varies quite a bit. And I think at most schools, you will be fine doing exactly what we have said. No, I'm not applying for need-based aid, but submit that FAFSA. There may be some schools, though, that just submitting that FAFSA, even though you said no over here, once you (laughs) submit that FAFSA, now they think you're applying for need-based aid. So what I would do to be extra safe is I would just shoot an email to the school uh, if you're going to be submitting that FAFSA saying, hey, not really applying for need-based aid, just submitted that FAFSA uh, because I'd love to be considered for merit scholarships and student loans. That is all. That just makes extra sure they won't be confused. They won't make any um, decisions that are inconsistent with what you're actually trying to do. It's probably not necessary at most places, but if you want to be extra safe, make sure that you are not put at any disadvantage in the admissions process. I think I'd probably shoot that email um, just in case, just to make sure. If it wasn't, if the FAFSA wasn't required for merit at those schools where it's not required for merit, you can just wait to file it till after you've been accepted. There's no time limit on when you can get the student loans. If the only reason you're filing the FAFSA is to get student loans, you can do that later in the spring after you've already been accepted and no need to worry uh, about any need aware issues. But if it is required for merit, so you want to get it in early, that's when you might want to shoot that that email. Again, just as case, probably not an issue at most schools, but just to be safe, you might want to do that. Um, And I just also should just step back and say, if you need financial aid, submit the FAFSA, say yes to that question on the Common App. Please do not let fear of uh, it affecting your admissions decision uh, prevent you from filing the FAFSA. There is no use getting into a school if you can't actually afford to pay for it. So if you need financial aid, file the FAFSA, say yes to that question on the Common App, please. The only other thing that I would add, Shannon, is I do know that from talking to some of our colleagues that actually... You could, at some of these need-aware schools, you file the FAFSA, what you are actually giving the school is information about your finances, and it could show them very clearly that you can absolutely afford full price, and that can actually work in your favor. So that, you know, that's the other thing is it's tough. Um, I think it's never a bad idea to file it, and it may show that you have substantial funds available and they might be saying to themselves, oh, great, this is a family we want, even if you have checked the box um, or even if you've checked no submitting the FAFSA. What I find is that, you know, that can be helpful too. Yeah, it's very tricky. There's no blanket statements because schools look at these things in different ways. Right. Which is why I think that email is a good idea, um, but may not may ultimately not be necessary. All right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> All right. So question for you from Lola that she submitted through our Facebook page. So folks, feel free to, to do that. If you do have a question, just shoot us uh, a message on our Facebook page. But she says, hi, my child is very fortunate to attend a Jesuit high school on a full scholarship for four years. 
technically the scholarship was earned before he started high school. So it's not considered an award to be listed on the college applications. All he has to do is maintain a certain GPA, which is the easiest, easier part compared to earning it. But should he list it on his applications? If not, is there a place to mention it? Or just don't say anything about it at all? Uh, I think either way could make sense. Just wanted to hear what the experts say. Sure. Well, I do. I actually think that even though he was awarded the scholarship freshman year, it's still something that he essentially is awarded every single year because they're paying for him every single year. So I do think it could go in the honors section um, if there's too much that he's already including included in the honors section. So if he has other stuff that maybe takes priority. Um, it could go into the additional information section. I think either place would be fine. I don't think you really need a long explanation, but simply a note that he was awarded this um, scholarship and that it's renewable for all four years, uh, I think would be fine. All right, Um, Shannon, next question from Kate. My question is regarding how to best use a College 529 plan saved by my children's grandparents. I understand that since the plan is saved by the grandparents, it's not reported on the FAFSA until my children pull from it, in which case it's counted as income to my child. So I've heard it is best to wait until their junior year to start using these funds to pay college expenses. Is this true? I have two children, two years apart, as well as a stepchild, the same age as my youngest. At at this point, my oldest is interested in getting a medical degree. So she could potentially have many years of education ahead of her. Can you advise on the best timing and use of their two 529 funds? They both have close to 60,000 each in the 529s, a sizable amount, but still not enough to cover college depending on the schools they choose. I will likely qualify for some need-based assistance for my daughter's freshman year, but not her sophomore year. Her junior year, I will have all three in college. There's a lot going on in that. (laughs) There is. And I am about to blow your mind, Beth. I know you are. I know (laughs) what you're going to (laughs) say. She says that I have heard that it's best to wait until junior year to start using these funds. And 99% of the time when a question starts with, I heard that wrong what, what is about but to come out of their mouth time. not this time she's right I don't know who she's listening to but they are a trusted source maybe it's from listening it's to us. this podcast right exactly if that's where you heard it that this is a good source of information but yeah you, you are absolutely right about when to use the money the issue here is that when some they ask this kind of nasty question on the FAFSA that says They ask the student, did you receive any gifts or have any bills paid on your behalf by anyone other than your custodial parents? And if so, report the amount here. We're going to count it as student income. So if grandma pays the tuition bill, that money counts as student income. The sort of convenient thing uh, in this situation is that the FAFSA, this is very inconvenient for some other situations, but the FAFSA is a little bit delayed in what income it looks at. It's always looking at your income from two years prior to the year you're applying for aid for. That is not helpful if you lose your job and your income has decreased since two years ago. But in this situation, it is helpful. Um, So if you kind of work through a timeline, essentially, give or take, because the academic years don't exactly line up with the calendar years, but essentially, if grandma paid for freshman year of college, that would be reported on the student's junior year financial aid application because it's two years in the future. Grandma right. paid for sophomore year. That would be reported on the senior year financial aid application. And then there are no more financial aid applications. So anything grandma pays towards junior and senior years of college never get reported on a financial aid application. So you're absolutely right that it is best to use that money for financial aid purposes. It is best to use that money for junior and senior years of college because then it will never hurt you on a financial aid application. Um, The only other things I would say in terms of things to think about and timing, uh, the timing of when to spend a a 529 kind of in general um, would be, there are some competing arguments as a tax deferred account eventually tax-free, if you, as long as you use the money for college, that uh, tax-free growth is maximized the longer you use, leave the money in the account. So that would argue also for leaving it in there a little bit longer, save right. it for junior and senior year. Um, so that is right in line with um, what we were already thinking would be the best thing you should do. Um, the counter argument would be as 
an account you have to use for college. Otherwise, you have to pay taxes and penalties on the earnings. You do want to be quite sure that you do use this money. So for some families that you know, that would argue for using it right away. If you have enough to pay for one or two years of college, use it for the first year or two, because yes. what if the kid drops out of college and now you have no college to spend it on and now you've got to pay penalties to get your money back? It, for this family where there's three kids, um, it's it doesn't, and one of them might go to medical school. There's going to be a lot of college there to pay for. So I don't think that's really an issue for this family. If one kid happens to drop out, use it on the other two kids. Right, You've got right. plenty of college to pay for. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry about that one. Um, and the other issue with, with, you know, spending the 529, you have enough to maybe pay for a year or two years, but not the whole thing. One thing to think about would be um, federal student loan eligibility is limited on an, an annual basis. And if you they decline the student loans for the first year because you didn't need them yet. Maybe you got enough in that 529 to totally pay for the first year. You can't add that amount that you declined like onto the sophomore, junior, senior year amount. Once you've declined it for freshman year, it's gone. You can't get it, you know, senior year when you might really need it. So since those federal student loans are tend to be the most favorable loans there are, you probably want to take advantage of them all along, hold some back in your 529, don't spend it right away. Um, so you can take advantage of that good loan eligibility as opposed to having to borrow worse loans later down the line. So that's something that's applicable to, you know, kind of everybody thinking about when to spend the money if there's not enough to cover everything. Uh, but particularly for this family, I think everything points to save that money for later on in the process. All right. Um, I think we have room for one more question before we go to break. Yes. So Todd asks, um, my 12th grader has test scores that will boost her admission to most of her chosen schools. And oh, actually, I'm sorry. I skipped a question. Uh, my, go, go with this one. Go we'll with that one. Okay. One. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Um, and since she homeschooled through 10th grade, we think she probably needs to include them in her applications. She took the ACT after 10th grade and got a 30 with a 33 and 34 in the two non-STEM sections, but only a 25 in math. She took the SAT this August and got a 1340 with a math 660. Google reports that her SAT composite and math scores both convert to about 28s on the ACT. Her guidance counselor advised her to submit only her ACT score. <coughs> Is there any advantage to submitting the ACT and SAT for the better SAT math score. Her reach schools are Clemson, UNC, and Davidson. We live in North Carolina. The rest of her application is solid, including her transcript. Okay, so the core of the question is really, she has a 30 on the ACT, a 1340 on the SAT, and the math is a 660 on the SAT and a 25 on the ACT. And that 660 translates to about a 28 on the ACT. And I would say that there may not be an advantage, but there is no harm. So I would submit the ACT, I, which is the slightly better test score overall, yeah. overall, but submit the SAT as well. The, the, they may not look at it. It may not make it into the electronic version of the application because the better score, the ACT um, may supplant any other testing, but they may see both sets of scores. Um, and, you know, it, it, there's very, it's, we're really splitting hairs here. And I think in general, what they're going to rely on is that 30, but there's no harm in them seeing that she tested slightly better in math on the SAT. Uh, and it's especially, there's especially no harm because she homeschooled early. And whenever you homeschool, the more support you can give to the grades earned when the student was homeschooling, when presumably you were giving her her grades, not always, but often um, they're, they're given by the parent. It's nice to support that with some testing or a course at a local community college or university um, where they know a little bit about the governing body in those cases, or they, they can compare those test scores to other students' test scores. So my bottom line here is I don't know that it will provide an advantage, but I don't think it's a disadvantage. I don't see any harm in submitting those test scores. Um, so I would say go for it. 
All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get to more of the questions that we have from you guys. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are in the middle of our 300th podcast, which is very exciting. And Shannon Vasconcelos is here with me. We're answering listener questions. But I promised that I would announce the winner of our contest. We held a special contest Uh, asked people to give us reviews on Apple Podcasts, and in exchange, we would draw a winner and they would win two hours of time with either a finance or admissions expert. And the winner is Christy V113. So Christy V113, you left us um, a review on September 30th. We very much appreciate it. Please get in touch with us at uh, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. You get in touch with us. We will, you can let us know if you want to do admissions or finance and we'll get that ball rolling. So thank you so much for your reviews. Um, All right, Shannon, let's jump back into it. Um, I think we, you are answering, I can't even remember where we're at. All right. Either. <laughs> we have a few questions from Rosie. Why don't we start okay. with the first one and then maybe we can go to an admissions one and come back. All right. Okay. Rosie's first question for you is, I've heard you say, oh, my favorite, that if students, <laughs> but she's heard us say it. So that makes so me it's feel okay. better. It's... Yes. All right. I've heard you say that if students have income less than $7,000 a year, it won't be counted against them when awarding financial aid. But what about savings? Are $7,000 of savings invisible too? They are not. Unfortunately, there is that um, income protection allowance that where the first chunk about $7,000 of student income is invisible. That's essentially to let a kid have a part-time job without it hurting them on the financial aid applications. Unfortunately, there is no such allowance against student assets. And the theory is, you know, students can be contributing everything they've got in the bank to college. Um, And so there is, at most schools, it's about a 20% assessment rate on student assets um, right from the beginning, right from the first dollar that you've got in the bank. They think you can give 20% of that to help pay, 20 cents of that to pay your college tuition. So unfortunately, there isn't any such allowance. So anything a student has in the bank uh, is going to feed into that financial aid formula and, and cost you some financial aid eligibility. Um, now, does that mean don't save? Certainly not. You, you should right. be saving uh, as much as you can for college. Whatever amount you save helps you much more than it hurts you in terms of the loss of financial aid. Um, if you're saving tens of thousands of dollars for college, um, it, a savings held in the parent's name gets a preferential treatment as opposed to student assets. They acknowledge parents have other financial responsibilities. So for tremendous amounts of money, you might want to consider saving it in the parent's name as opposed to the student's name. Or if um, also another strategy would be spending down student assets first before you touch the parent assets should help you in the financial aid process. All right. Awesome. Okay. Um, next admissions question from Natalie. Is there a way that an underclassman who has an idea as to where they want to apply to college 
um, to get a leg up on finding supplemental essays. I understand that they show up in the common application once you start preparing it as an upperclassman, but is there any other way to find them or can you start a dummy application just in order to access the essay prompts? So the short answer here is no. You, but you can, of course, start a dummy application. It's not even a dummy application. Students can start their common application whatever year they want, freshman, sophomore, junior. I suppose if you wanted to take a look when you were an eighth grader, you could. Um, every year the Common App gets taken down, usually somewhere around the end of June. It's down for a few days and then it comes back up and they usually, it's, they don't necessarily change a ton about it, but they make revisions, they make some tweaks here and there. But when it comes back up, you can simply log in and roll over the information that you have in there into the new version. But so you could go in and see what the supplemental essays are now. The reason that you can't really work ahead is because schools change their supplemental essays. So some schools will have the same essay year after year after year, but you never know. They may have had the same supplemental question for 10 years, but the year you work on it and do it ahead of time is the year that they suddenly come out with a new essay. Um, the new supplemental prompts are typically available somewhere around or after August 1st. Um, that's typically when the new Common App is available for the year and when many schools who are on the Common App make their supplemental questions available. Some will not be available when the Common App goes live. So sometimes we're waiting two, three, four weeks for the actual supplemental questions to be available. Some schools will announce their supplemental questions as early as January or February, um, well before that August 1 date. So I think what your daughter can do, it is your daughter, right? Um, actually, you didn't say that. Uh, I think what your child can do, your student, uh, is to go um, have that list of schools that uh, they know they're going to be applying to and get on the mailing list and keep an eye out. And if they are the kinds of schools that are going to announce their question early, then the student can be working ahead on those, but typically even then, not until the second half of junior year. Uh, and I wouldn't really advise starting that much earlier anyway. There's so many different things that can happen in a, to a student. Maybe they're gonna do something super interesting over the summer or that second semester of junior year. Uh, and so if you start too much ahead, you may have missed an opportunity to write about something much more recent and impactful on you than what you had chosen to write about. Um, the Common App typically announces its prompts for the year sometime in that January, February, March timeframe. Uh, they did not change this year, but we had a few years there where they were tweaking them and changing them slightly uh, every year. So even there, it's a little bit dangerous to go ahead. And again, I'm not sure I recommend it. Most students are not ready to work on that main essay until at least the second half of junior year. Um, and so, so yeah, the, the reality of it is that um, you can't really work too far ahead, but you certainly can create an account and an application and start filling it out now. There's no harm to that. All right, Shannon, we'll go back to Rosie. Rosie's yes. second question, I need to put on my glasses here. Uh, all right, number two, when they ask for assets, do we also count the money we have in our wallets or just the money we have in our bank account? And since my dad has a company, do I add the assets from the company along with his own or will they be asked separately? Hmm. So you do have to count the money in your wallet. They do the actual question on the FAFSA. They ask for the amount of your cash, checking and savings accounts. Um, so that's a brilliant idea. I've actually, I heard this week uh, of, oh, I'll just take all of my money out of the bank the day before I file the FAFSA and then I won't have, I'll report zero money. No, you still have to report your cash, all that money in your pocket now. Are the schools going to dig in your pocket to verify how much money you have? You know, probably not. But um, you are expected to report any money that you have in cash, in your wallets, under your mattresses, anything like that. Um, what you do not likely have to report is the money um, in from your dad's company. Um, that, that is a separate question on the FAFSA asking you to report the value of any businesses 
that you own or that your parents own, but there's a great big exclusion on that um, question where they tell you, you do not have to report any small family-owned businesses, how they define define small and family owned is less than 100 employees and at least 50% uh, owned within the family, either by one person or multiple family members. So if your dad, com- your dad's company falls under those qualifications, you don't have to report the asset that company anywhere. It's only if your dad owns a huge company or owns in partnership with a lot of non-family members that you would ever have to report uh, that business at all. All right. Excellent. Let's go back to that question that Todd asked, if you would, because I know we had one and we skipped over it. And Yes. Uh, so Todd asked, uh, my senior daughter is a competitive applicant to the schools on her list. Her REACH schools tout that they are looking for things like leaders and world changers. Um, these are schools like UNC and Davidson. I think we actually had a previous question from Todd. He mentioned those schools before. Mm-hmm. Um, with the reality that not everyone is a leader, how serious do such statements factor into the admissions process? If a student is strong in academics, SAT, character, service, and letters, but lacks leadership in the traditional sense, should she look at other colleges if such schools are already on the match reach bubble for her? Um, She is a demure personality and also transferred from homeschool to a small private school after 10th grade, so she has not had much leadership opportunity. Sure. This is a good question. Um, I think that what they are sharing a little bit is institutional priorities, that they are prioritizing students who are involved and, and do things. And I actually think you're, you're reading the question, in, you are reading into what they're saying as must be a traditional leader. And yet we all know of people who are doing things, you could say, changing the world, but doing so much more quietly. Uh, and you know, I can think of a student who I know who has worked super hard behind the scenes in a lab working on um, stuff that I don't totally understand in biochemistry, um, moving, removing particles from water and um, in that way kind of creating uh, potable water that people can drink. This student is not a leader in his school. He is not someone that is well known to those around him, but he is working on something that really could change the world. So I would rather than assuming that the colleges are defining leaders and world changers as students who are strictly captain of a varsity sports team or president of their class or uh, the leader of the largest club in the in the school to reframe that a little bit and think about, help your daughter think about how, where, where are ways that I am leading or I am really contributing to uh, the things that I'm doing, even if I'm not holding those very recognizable leadership roles. Uh, Certainly these schools are gonna love to see those very recognizable leadership roles, but you can't fill your school with just the students who were in those roles because then you'd have all leaders and no followers. Um, and every group needs different types of personalities to contribute. So really, rather than saying, I'm not even going to apply there, instead, what I would say is um, for your daughter to really be thoughtful about where am I contributing in significant ways and putting the focuses, the focus and emphasis on that rather than worrying about the other. Uh, okay. I love gonna- that. Don't let them frame it for you. you. You tell them how you're a leader and how you're changing the world. Don't. Uh, don't let them frame it for you. You do that framing. Exactly. And they're really not telling you that it has to be, um, you know, that it has to be this very traditional leadership role that you're thinking about. That's actually your brain that's putting that in there. That's right. Yeah. And that'd be a pretty boring school if everyone, it was a whole school of captains of the football team. That's right. (laughs) They need other types of Captains of the football team. I aspire (laughs) to this for my own child, but that's exactly right. You can't have everyone with the same Um, That's not what the schools are looking for. All right, Rosie has a final question for us. And I have to say, shout out to Rosie. We usually get finance questions from parents and this is coming from a student and I love love that. All right, Rosie, here's your third question. I have leftover financial aid money, but it is my parents' bank account since I don't have a bank. It's in my parents' bank account since I don't have a bank account. 
So when they ask for the student's assets, am I supposed to count that leftover financial aid money? Good question. Yeah, so I would say technically, yes. You are supposed to be reporting, if it's money you've got sitting in a bank account, yes, you are supposed to report it. On the income side of things, so the financial aid applications kind of have two sections. They ask about your income and your assets. On the income side of things, they say don't count financial aid as income. But if it's kind of leftover sitting in your bank account, they don't have the same exclusion on the asset side of things. So if you do have financial aid money or any money sitting in the bank, you are supposed to report it. Now, where to report it? Is it a student asset or is it a parent asset? To me, Rosie, even though this was your financial aid money, if it's sitting in your parent's account, I would report that as a parent asset. Um because legally, kind of once it's in the account, you gave it to them. It's sitting in their account. Of course, they're going to, uh, you know, spend it on you or, or give it to Hopefully. you. To, to, yeah, I would hope so. Um, that, so that you can, presumably, it's maybe to kind of pay your rent throughout the semester or buy books, that, that kind of thing. Um, but if it's in your parents' account, I would count it as their money. If the school did any kind of verification, they would say that's your parents' money because it is in their account. And that's where it's going to be most beneficial on the financial aid application. I think I talked about it a few questions back that student assets are hit more harshly than parent assets. I think I talked about that. The days are blurring together. <laughs> if I talked about it today or not, I've talked about it at some point. Um, but student assets are hit more harshly on the financial aid applications than parent assets. So if that money's sitting in your parent's account, I would report it uh, uh, as a parent asset. And that will get you gentler treatment on the financial aid formula. And if it is your financial aid money, you could even send a quick email to the financial aid office saying, you know, this isn't really... Um, you know, a long-term asset that I have. This is the just a refund from my financial aid that's going to be spent over the course of the semester. They may even exclude it for you. I think you technically you need to report it, but they might be willing to exclude it for you. So I would send an email to the financial aid office and ask them to do that. Shannon, thank you so much. Um, next week, Ian is here and he's going to be talking about choosing a public honors college with you. Um, yeah. Supplemental essays for the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and Purdue and what to do now that you've completed your financial aid applications. Uh, and we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.